from Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C. This is the HPS Insights Podcast. Elliot, you and I, we just had a great conversation with Alex Sternhill over at the uh, Sternhill Group. We invited Alex on as part of this crypto series we're doing uh, and talked a lot about that education curve that's happening in Washington. And and to be fair, that's the reason we're doing this series. Uh, I think in the last year, maybe even less, um, we've been on our own learning curve as we've started to experiment with some of this stuff and, and dive in deep with several of our clients. So I'm looking forward to all of these episodes, but this is a good one with Alex. And he really helped us kind of think through some of the congressional activity that's been happening in the last few months. I don't know. What did you think? I mean, I thought uh, Alex obviously has a, you know, a a master of the substance and a great perspective into some of the kind of, you know, analogs of past uh, debates or issues. You know, I think, Brian, it's always nice for us when we get to talk to folks that that do something different from what we do on a, on a regular basis. Right. Yeah, and you, whether that be practitioners in the industry, whether that be advocates, whether that be academics and researchers. Right. And um, I, I, I think his perspective on, you know, when he's literally in offices having these conversations, discussing these issues, I think it, it turns up um, some great insights and, uh, and and it was great to chat with him. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. And the last thing I'll say about it, it is so nice in, in with such a new and exciting industry, really at its, uh, as you say in the episode, early innings to have a veteran like Alex who have seen what happens when there's a big financial change and Congress has to wake up and regulators have to figure out lanes to have someone that's gone through that and has a bit of perspective, I found it very educational. So uh, for all of our listeners, I I hope you enjoy this one and we'll have a a few more for you over the next coming weeks. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host today, Brian DeAngelis. I'm a partner here at HPS um, and today's insight episode is is part of a a new series we're doing here, looking at uh, cryptocurrency and the policy and business implications of this new uh, phenomenon, if you will. Um, but this emerging industry that is really taking DC by storm. I'm joined today, uh, and and he'll team up with me on several of these episodes by my colleague and one of our cryptocurrency experts here at HPS, Elliot Owensby, uh, senior director here at the firm. And today we're, we're really excited. I've got my good friend on, uh, Alex Sternhill. Uh, he is the principal at the Sternhill Group, uh, prominent DC government relations firm. Alex is also a member, like myself, of the Dodd Squad, having served for former chairman, uh, Chris Dodd as his deputy staff director on the Senate Banking Committee and does a lot of work in this space, really understands the financial services, uh, policy and regulatory industry here, um, has played a big role in drafting and negotiating. I would say, Alex, nearly every major piece of financial services legislation Congress has has recently worked on. Uh, And so we wanted to uh, bring him on here and get a good sense of what's going on on Capitol Hill. So Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me, Brian and, and, and Elliot. It's great to, great to be here. Great. Um, 
let me start really, really basic. Can you just um, maybe take us back even a, even just a couple months? Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, this has been around for years. Um, Washington, in my opinion, I think I'm pretty accurate on this, really started paying attention last summer when some of the amendments and other issues were introduced. Um, Gary Gensler has really put a focus on this since he came to town under, under President Biden. Um, what has happened over the last couple months that, that really just made this almost issue number one, or at least the top three issue in front of Congress? So, you know, let me start that off. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll do a, a, a little bit of context for me. I, um, I began working on these issues in about 2013 um, and was hired by, uh, at that point, a gentleman who was going to be a core developer, a core, uh, Bitcoin core developer. Um, to to essentially start talking to lawmakers about about Bitcoin, not about crypto because crypto really wasn't a going concern at that point, particularly in Washington. Um, and so for a number of years, that number of people like myself who had begun to lobby on cryptocurrency issues um, slowly began to grow. It slowly began to get um, formations of trade associations, formations of of other types of, of groups, companies that were hiring individually. But per your comment. Um, it really has been within the past year and in the past, you know, six to eight months in which we've seen, you know, a, a moment here, galvanization of an ecosystem that we really haven't seen previously, uh, even though there were a lot of issues and there were there was certainly a, a great deal of regulatory legislative legislative risk that was that was there. But we really hadn't seen sort of a direct threat, which was the catalyst for uh, for for Washington coming together, uh, for for the ecosystem coming together in a unified or relatively unified way in Washington, that that threat, the first thing we've seen that that did that was obviously the inclusion of uh, a number of tax reporting revi- provisions inside of uh, the uh, bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure bill um, that, for the first time in the tax code, attempted to define broker, define digital asset. And create new reporting requirements, uh, as well as some additional requirements in, in uh, 650i that were also sort of, uh, you know, I think a critical uh, piece there. And that that moment that basically we're going to start requiring intermediaries to report on uh, on transactions that occur with crypto. And who are those intermediaries and what are they going to have to report really sent, I think, um, a, a shockwave at first and then a positive reaction um, as, 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 as folks galvanized around understanding that Washington is now clearly in the business of looking at cryptocurrencies. So let me, um, let me ask this from my experience um, when I worked for Dodd and, and seeing how the banking committee operated in the Senate side, at least. Um, I imagine a year ago, there's one guy on that committee who's looking at Bitcoin. You know, maybe you and and one or two others are going in there to brief them. And you fast forward now, we're recording this in a week where there were two hearings. I think we're up to probably eight to 10 hearings in, in the last four months. Um, where Where are we now in terms of to put you on the spot a little bit, what we see happening next, right? The banking committee is very interested. House Financial Services is interested. We'll get into this in a few minutes, but but Senate Ag had a hearing this week. What do we expect in, I guess, the next six months or so on this front? You know, I think I think that's a great question. So first and foremost, uh, let me describe, not only have we seen sort of a, um, 
with the BIF being the, the first real legislative activity um, that people focused on. The other galvanizing activity um, was the issuance of the president's working group uh, report right. on, on stable coins. And the two, the two of the three hearings in the past week, or I guess there's one stable coin hearing uh, this week and one next week, I guess that's right, with Nellie Lang from Treasury testifying. Um, both of them are on the report and sort of an education and an explanation of what the PWG did, the, the background and the recommendations associated with, with the PWG report. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's really a, uh, you know, when, when, when the, when PWG issued this and the president's working group essentially consists of the Fed, Treasury, and prudential regulators, uh, and, and, and other uh, primary regulators, this is a moment in which the federal government has for the first time said, we think stable coins, which are one critical silo inside the cryptocurrency debate, we think they need to be regulated this way. And we're asking Congress to act. And that's, that's why this week is really uh, a bit of a tipping point in terms of uh, this isn't just about education. This isn't just about uh, understanding the differences between proof of work and proof of stake. Uh, right. This is about the, the you know, government agencies clearly articulating a path to regulation. And just as importantly, concerns about existing companies in the cryptocurrency universe that they don't believe are being properly regulated right now. So that being said, we're going to continue to see focus on stable points. It's definitely going to be an issue. Um, it is probably the top area in both the House and the Senate where you may actually see legislative uh, activity. Um, you have a number of bills that are either have been introduced or being talked about being introduced. Uh, the hearing on the House side, I think, reflected interest from both Republicans and Democrats. Not exactly the same vision but certainly an interest in uh, going forward with, with, with creating a regulatory framework for stable points. Um, it's hard to get anything passed in sort of a 50-50 Senate and a very narrow margin House. But if, I were, if you were going to tell, if I were, you were going to ask me what's the number one thing that might happen in the next six months, there's a, there's a low but real possibility that stable point legislation could occur. Before we go there, break, can you break down for us um... – where the two parties at least are the way they're approaching stable coins. And I, I guess to some extent, the broader crypto ecosystem, but, you know, we, we saw Godheimer's bill. Um, where are Dems on this first Republicans? How do they view the world of stable coins? Um, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could draw a bright line and put one group on one side and one group on the other. It would be Isn't very that how Washington is these days. You know, I mean, that's the goal, right? You know, know who's on your team, know who's not on your team and, you know, play the game. But um, no, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that there are policy issues that I think um, filter into members of both parties differently. Okay. So first and foremost, um, most of the existing stable coins, and this is, if you read uh, 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 Undersecretary Yang's testimony, you would, you would see this, uh, and I'm sure you have, but you know, what she clearly articulates is that one of the, two of the major concerns is that stable coins are either A, 
international and essentially unregulated or B, domestically regulated, but at the state level. And they would argue with only a narrow, narrow focus of uh, prudential supervision, not broader concerns uh, of systemic risk and other areas which she has, uh, which the federal government believes that they need to step in, which is the subject of the PWG report. So um, I think you've got, you have a wonderful slice of federal versus state that comes, you know, rumbling through, uh, which used to be a Republican issue and then became a Democratic issue. And I think it's now a Republican issue as we fight for over, you know, the traditional fights of preemption and federalism versus state. Uh, states' rights, and that's that's a key component of of this argument. And to be clear, um, many of the stablecoins are issued that are issued domestically are issued domestically in you know states that have been very very forward leaning, like New York, for example, on creating a regulatory framework that works. So the creation of the bit license uh, uh, trust companies that 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 um, uh, are are that have, have, have been, have done projects with crypto companies. So there very much is a little bit of a, there's a, there isn't a full throated, we need to do this at the federal level. It only works at the federal level. And everybody that's at the state level needs to register at the federal level. I think that would be the far left and the most progressive Democrats would argue this all needs to be done highly regulated for all of the concerns that were in the, the PWG report. And probably uh, states are not you know, adequately looking at all right. of the potential risks. So that's the most progressive. Um, on the farthest right, um, I think that there's, there are significant concerns about the fact that basically, if you attempt to massively or regulate or overregulate this, all these stable coins are going to go offshore. And you know, the largest stable coin in the world is currently offshore. Um, and we have no, we don't have, it's a bit opaque with respect to reserves and, and its financial stability. So we need to, um, you know, we need to have this offshore. We need to be able to see it. We need to be able to understand it, but we can't regulate it out of existence and we can't put it at a massive disadvantage to internationally regulated stable points. So that's a second area that I think is there. The third area, which um, which is a is a very interesting area, and it has members all over the place, so it's difficult to quickly define as either a Democratic or Republican issue. This tends to be a larger uh, criticism of, for Republicans than it is for Democrats, but it's whether or not the the U.S. and the the Fed should develop a central bank digital currency. Stable right. coins are essentially competitive devices to a C, CBDC. Um, in many ways. And so the concern about a digital yuan with that's coming from China and the U.S., which has taken, taken a much slower path and been much more reticent to jump into a full-throated support of a CBDC, although there are moments which, you know, particularly at the Fed, where some members are, 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 are more supportive of creating one. So that tension between CBDCs and stablecoins also fit, filters in to where members are with respect to where they are on stablecoins. Alex, that's what, that's what I was going to ask you up. You know, how, everyone in crypto, certainly, and I think most people who have a view of the ecosystem, they, they argue, oh, we're, we're in the early days, early innings, so on. But let's assume that's true. I think the corollary is that then you're at the very beginning of the learning curve for most people, right? How much of the focus on stablecoins do you feel like is due to the fact that, that you know, candidly, it's probably one of the easiest chunks to 
to break off, to kind of understand conceptually, right? It does, it's, a, it's a big part of the ecosystem and it's an essential part of, you know, DeFi tools and other things, but it's also like relatively intuitive. <laughs> you know, if you want to call it a digital dollar in a, in a broad sense, you know, it, it kind of, that tracks, like, do you think it's, do you think that plays a role at all in this kind of scrutiny? Because when I look at it and, and I'm frankly, I've, I've been, uh, very pleasantly surprised with the substance of the conversation that that, that legislators are having. I think that's uh, amazing. It's refreshing, um, but it's also sort of like uh, it's an interesting first uh, step or first phase. Given that some of the you know wildest extremes of the crypto world are pretty wild, and those aren't the, yet those aren't the kind of the first move. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think. Um... For a couple of reasons. Number one, the esoteric nature of some of the debates, they're difficult. You have to spend a lot of time. You know, you can, you can conceptually get what proof of work is. You can conceptually get what proof of stake is, but those aren't the only two consensus mechanisms. And the fact that there are more and different ones going, you know, that are being created the whole time is, is, is a bit much to sort of explain and, uh, and not only educate members of Congress and staff on, but also sort of provide them with a view, view of, of, of how they should be or how they shouldn't be regulated. Um, sort of the advent, you know, the, the biggest issue out there, and this is a, this is a catch-all phrase that has, um, that has specific meanings in certain areas, but, you know, the, the idea that, that DeFi, that decentralized finance, I mean, it is, it really is the one of the essences. It's the promise of so much of of, of what's being talked about with respect to cryptocurrencies um, is is a lot to handle holistically. Um, and so I think as members and staff start their education process, and it's been going on for a bit now, um, I think that there's 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 a the learning curve is shortening, but. Um, they have a key opportunity here, which is they have an action item that's been asked of them by a federal a group of federal regulators in terms right. of the PUG. And that really has been the thrust of them putting stable coins at the top. And, you know, stable coins serve a number of functions, but at the end of the day, stable coins, you know, currently, you know, are one of the primary ways to get in and out of crypto tokens to fiat. And that transaction is a critical part and um, obviously, you know, certainly worthy of examination by, by regulators. So, um, I think you're right. I think it's the most digestible. I think members can wrap their arms around it. Uh, and I think that's primarily one of, one of the, you know, those are the reasons why it's there first. I'll, uh, I'll just add to that, Alex, that I think the other, it is um, the learning curve feels so experiential, right? Like, I, I mean, I saw this uh, viral tweet, you know, literally 5,000 retweets the other day. So it's nothing, nothing special, but from Jill Gunter, she was, she said, you know, you don't learn crypto web three, just, you know, on your research, right? You learn it by installing MetaMask, buying some ETH, going to a leisure, paying fees, you know, like, and I think that's right. And that's, I'll, I'll say, I'll go on the record now. That's my advice to our associates is when we're getting, yeah. when we're getting up to speed. I say, take 10 bucks fiat and, you know, throw that on an exchange of your choice or a wallet of your choice and just kind of start 
just getting a feel for it because it pretty much is. I, I do think like, you know, you can go read some some VCs on Medium or you can kind of try to get that rhythm of it. And then you're like, oh, right. So I got to go from, you know, whatever, from ETH to USDC. And then you see the relationship between these things. And I think you start to connect the dots. Yeah. Now, all that to say, does that bode particularly well for, uh, you know, educating members of Congress? Uh, I don't know, but I know that's what staff's doing. And I know that's what, you know, folks that are deep in the world, they have that kind of experiential context. That was actually my my question, because Elliot's, Elliot's exactly right. And um, hopefully they never see the light of day, but there's, there's pages of text messages between Elliot and I, as we got <laughs> onto these platforms and I tried to buy my kids NFTs for Christmas and, you know, all sorts of, of fun experiments, but um, maybe to just take his last point, uh, Alex, and, and pose it as a, a question to you as someone who's up there talking to these folks, um, I mean, where are members and staff on that learning curve? How, how much are staff, even outside of the committees, but starting to put some of their own money into crypto, just either to learn or because they see the value in it? Are they starting to really get a handle of the whole ecosystem or are we kind of still at square one? Um, well, let me say two things. Let me, I would be remiss if I didn't sort of clarify one thing, which is, while stable coins are this big ticket item that people, you know, that yeah. respond to, there's been seven or eight years worth of work and issues that have come on that the education process has helped get to them to the point where stable coins are a much more digestible, understandable issue. So the ecosystem, the ICO, the rise of ICOs and helping staff and members understand uh, you know, what the Howie test is and what a, what a security is and what a commodity is and working through um, sort of a clear, a clearer understanding of, uh, of, of, of cryptocurrencies, of Bitcoin, of, 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 other to- of Ethereum, of other tokens, um, use cases, ideas, potential, all of those things wrapped up. So there's been a lot of work that's gone on there just yeah, hasn't yeah. been a moment of like, oh, they want us to legislate. And so yeah. lots of oversight hearings. I've, you know, there, there has been tremendous work. Um, one, of, one of the people that I work for is an organization called Coin Center. Um, and Coin Center has testified, I don't know, a dozen times in the past seven or eight years on different crypto uh, hearings. And so that's a, uh, that's there. But now is the, the moment of, of, uh, of real sort of uh, intensity and focus. And that's, that's, that's I think, uh, important that I just wanted to clarify that. The second that's question, and I've got to be careful here, particularly given the optics of what's going on right now, I have no knowledge of any staffer or member's personal investing strategies. Um, <laughs> and so I am going yeah. to be very clear. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. I really don't. Uh, and however, what I can tell you is that, um, I can rephrase the question. No, no, no. The professionalism (laughs) of the staff is massively improved. I mean, it's, it's very good. Um, it's like almost all issues. Um, you know, there are, there are committee staffers that are highly, that are more focused, that are more siloed on an issue set that spend a significant amount of time on cryptocurrency issues and, you know, there are multiple, again, verticals inside of those issues. And then there are personal office staffers who, whose bosses are um, very forward-leaning or very opposed. 
and they are they've they're you know they've developed an expertise either prior to coming to the hill or while they're on the hill in cryptocurrency issues. So there was a day when I used to start off all the meetings or conversations I would have with. So the original point of Bitcoin was to solve the double spending problem. Like that still happens, but very, very rarely. Okay. Everybody's figured out the double spending problem. We're really more focused at focused on, uh, you know, two, three, four layers down of the education process at that point, which by the way is, is great. And it's um, it's been fascinating to see people who, uh, you know, first learned of what crypto was when, they heard of a crypto kitty and yeah. right. And now right. they're asking, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, decentralized exchanges and what that means and what's the consumer protection, investor protection paradigm in a DeFi world. Like there's definitely a, a, uh, an upgrade on staff. It doesn't mean we don't have a lot more work to do, right. um, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the folks that are up on the Hill that are working on this stuff. And I'm curious how deep that goes into Congress, maybe just, just quickly, is that is that going way beyond the committees now at this point and into folks who aren't on these committees of jurisdiction? There are probably five to 10 members who um, who you would consider sort of personal office, personal office staff, uh, staff that are very deep in both the House and the Senate side that are working regularly on, on cryptocurrency issues. Um, yeah. And then there are then there are committee staffs that are working, obviously. And by the way, it's not just the banking committee. It's not just the House Financial Services Committee. You know, we've had hearings with the Energy and Commerce Committee, the Commerce Committee, the Homeland Security Committee, Agriculture Committee in both the House and the Senate. Uh, we, uh, you know, we've had hearings from the Joint Economic Committee. Um, I know I'm missing it. Uh, I don't know if the Finance Committee has had one yet, but I'm sure they will. Um, I, they have to have. I mean, with, with tax season, they got to be going. Right, I know. I mean, they, if they didn't have a hearing, they should have had a hearing yeah. before they passed whatever they passed in the BIF. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, uh, you know, so there's, this is, this is no longer a sleepy issue. So right. many, many committees are involved and there's, there's, there's expertise developing. Um, I will tell you, and I, I think this is an important distinction and it's, it, it, I think it's, uh, it points to what Elliot is exactly talking to, which is, you know, there is a difference between a technologist and a coder um, and a person that does public policy and is deep on a public policy issue set. So um I, I do think that as many people that, um, you know, as as consumer adoption by people amongst policymakers happens, um, people start using apps and understanding what why people are doing it. And here are the following 12 exchanges that I can buy and sell and hold crypto. Um, I think that really, really helps color um, both the really, really scary issues that are not that scary and the more mundane issues that probably deserve more oversight. Let me go back to something I um, you just said, and I, I punted on a few minutes ago, but um, one of my favorite, I don't know, nerdy things about the Senate is is when turf wars start to break out. And I know there's there's a lot of committees involved, but in particular, I think this week we started to see, if it's not already a full-blown turf war, at least signs of banking's going to want to put this with the SEC, the ag committees are going to want to put this with CFTC. And we had um, the CFTC folks up there this week talking about why they should be in charge of crypto regulation. Um, talk to us a little bit about what, what's 
going on there. Uh, I, I won't force you to kind of predict how this ends, but kind of where are we right now in that in that battle? Um, so as a former banking committee staffer. Right. I know you're biased. I'm, lead, yeah. I'm <laughs> obligated to say that all of this dessert is under the jurisdiction of the banking committee since right. I spent most of Absolutely. my career fending other committees off from various jurisdictions. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that um, this is not clear. This is many committees have legitimate claims on uh, on on the on the financial instruments and the oversight of those financial instruments that are occurring. And so, um, you know, it, it's uh, I think the best way to talk about the committees is to talk about and let's take, you know, the Treasury Department and FinCEN, you know, have clear jurisdiction over BSA and AML goes to the banking committee. They have, you know, IRS has clear jurisdiction over tax issues, which will right. go through the Finance Committee and Ways and Means Committee. Um, uh, Treasury is a member of the FSOC and is the and houses the Comptroller's Office. So anything that goes through banks, they're involved with. So those are sort of clear articulations of what they're in charge of. The real division between both, you know, of the committees is really about the division between the agencies. And so um, the primary distinction, and there are other distinctions, but the primary distinction is what's a security and therefore falls under the, under the jurisdiction of, of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and what's a commodity, which falls under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. Yeah. And you know, I think it's fair to 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 uh, to say that that Chairman Gensler um, has been feels pretty strongly about this. Yeah, I'd say that's probably you know a pretty good uh, pretty good description. I mean, he's asserted uh, multiple times that he thinks the vast majority of, of tokens that are out there are 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 securities and therefore under the jurisdiction of the SEC. And I think he certainly believes that. Um, you know, the, the exchanges slash wallets that that trade those uh, tokens um, are also under the jurisdiction of the SEC. And so at so, and he's had an, a very public and very significant enforcement action regime that's there. And he regularly talks about the need for the 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 SEC is looking at a variety of different ways to, um, you know, to regulate the crypto industry. Um, in, in, in new and interesting ways. The chairman of the, of the CFTC, on the other hand, stated in his confirmation hearing and got confirmed for the record that 60% of the tokens are under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. Depending whether or not you're talking about the number of tokens out there or the number of tokens from a volume perspective, 60% means that everything other than Bitcoin is under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. And Bitcoin is sort of off on its own altogether, not under right. the jurisdiction yeah. of, the, of, of, of the SEC. So you know, Bitcoin being the one, the one uh, token, the one consensus mechanism, the one project that, that is, has clearly been articulated as not being, not being part of uh, the common entity task. It is widely distributed and therefore passes one of the major prongs of the Howey test and therefore is not considered a security. Um, if everything else is under the jurisdiction of the CFTC, that leaves not very much for the commission to have oversight of. So there is a significant turf war going on right now. And that turf war is going to play out at some point nicely between the Senate Ag Committee and the Senate Banking Committee. What, what I would tell you is, 
And this is as an educated observer's perspective, at least forget, take Republicans out of the way for right now. On the Democratic side, Democrats in the Senate Banking Committee have been um, uh, much more skeptical of, of crypto, at least initially. They're sort of the first committee that really has focused a lot on it. And they've been concerned about illicit finance and right. and terrorism finance and you know investor protection concerns and a number of the issues the the ag committee is taking this up at a time when there's a lot more body of work frankly there's a lot more people in washington now that are doing education and the ag committee's perspective is a little bit different you've got a cftc chairman that's advocating to regulate an industry that uh that comes under the jurisdiction of the senate ag committee you know, it's a pretty persuasive case from if you're if you're on the Senate Ag Committee. So there was a much more a collegial bipartisan support for the CFTC taking the lead inside regulating cryptocurrencies. Not surprising. You would expect it coming out of the Ag Committee. Um, but yeah, but that's a good point. It's been a little bit more, I don't know, fire and brimstone on the on the banking committee. Right. And and that you know, call a spade a spade, that tends to come from some of the personalities on the banking committee, right? Warren's been a pretty aggressive and an early opponent, uh, if it were skeptic, maybe to be a little more fair to her of this. But I think I think you make a really good point there. And I'm I'm probably just gonna end up repeating it, but but I think it's worth saying that, you know, Senate Ag is getting this at a point where even if it feels like six months, there's been seven, eight years of education that uh, the chairman is coming to it with a pretty clear approach to it. Um, no disrespect to Gensler, but also been a little bit guns blazing since kind of day one. And they've taken a more thoughtful approach on the ag side that it seems like that will be a more substantive process of how they're going to move forward. Right. Um, I'd like to once again reiterate my strong preference for the Senate banking. Yes, committee. of course. But, um, Likewise. No, I look, I do I don't want any angry phone calls. No, no, no. no. I mean, these are these are definitely um, these are important issues that, you know, the committees are going to have to work out. I mean, people forget that Dodd-Frank largely tight title seven of Dodd-Frank was done with the input from the Senate Ag Committee um, and House Ag Committees and House Financial Services Committees and Senate Banking, you know, were the primary drivers of the larger bill. So it's not unprecedented for committees to work together. And it's not certainly not unprecedented for um, for the CFTC and the SEC to work together. I mean, at this moment, you know, Gary Gensler is the former chairman of the CFTC. The a, a former commissioner of the CFTC is currently the general counsel of the SEC. Right. Um, and so there's there's a lot of, of relationships and, um, and, and and shared experiences there that, you know, as the committees work their process out, the agencies will also be working out their process uh, as they as they divide and conquer with respect to a regulatory paradigm. Doesn't this speak exactly, Brian, to the to the education challenge in Washington? We could do we could do six hours of this we can. You know, I, in, all, in all seriousness. Right. I no, I think this I think. Uh, Alex, you you well covered it, and and I um I think maybe the the layer that we've uh, Alex you've politely shied away from would be the personalities involved and how those are how those how those um you know flavors and some of that maneuvering affects the substantive debate that that is going on on the hill, but. Um, I think overall, this is uh, I, I will I will go back and endorse the the early innings uh, of, of crypto, and I think um, we are uh, we're we're right on the tip of it. I think this has been been a, been a, a great conversation. 
Great. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you joining. And uh, to Elliot's point, if if you'd be so kind, we'd love to have you back on maybe in a couple months as, as I'm sure this world changes a hundredfold <laughs> again. On Absolutely. It, so. Thank you for having me on. And I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime. Great. Thanks, Great. Brad. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, please check out our, our other episodes as well. We're going to have a number of conversations with folks working up on the Hill, like Alex and, and working with companies here in DC, but also some folks um, in the industry and others who are working on more of the think tank and policy side of things. We're thinking about the regulatory structure. So I encourage all our listeners to check out the, the full series and we'll do our best to, to help with this education and learning curve here in Washington. Um, in the meantime, check out all our podcasts on Hamilton Place Strategies. Uh, you can find it on our website, hamiltonplacestrategies.com. Follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. And uh, once again, thank you to Alex and Elliot, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights and follow us on the web at hamiltonplacestrategies.com.